What is up, Citizens Youth? How's it going tonight? Good to see you guys. Welcome. Hey, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat right in front of you. Uh, I'd love for you to be on your physical Bibles and not on your phones. That would be ideal, because I don't know about you, but anytime I'm on my uh, Bible on my phone and someone texts me, all of a sudden I'm texting. And so uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Four. Hey, it's really good to be with you guys tonight. Super glad that you've joined us. Uh, if it's your first time tonight, if this is like brand new to you or like semi-new to you, I'm super glad that you've joined us. Uh, my name's Noah. I help lead our youth ministry here. We have a million uh, people here, uh, not actually, but we have a bunch of people here who uh, have lived a bit of life and they have uh, come here and they're your leaders and they are here to um, help lead our ministry together uh, hand in hand. And they would love to connect with you. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear about your story. And yeah, so I, um, I don't know if you guys have ever been brand new to something. I guess we've all been brand new to something at one place in time. But how, much, how many of you have been so new at something, like a new hobby, a new habit, something you wanted to try, and you were so abysmally terrible that you were like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm happy to raise my hand high on that one. Okay, and anyone who isn't raising their hand, right, they're like, I've been great at everything. I promise you, you've been bad at something at one place in time. Um, for me, that very well could have been preaching. The very first time I ever tried to preach, it was like pretty bad. I forgot to write a conclusion, which is typically important. You're supposed to have, I know, right? You're supposed to have a moment where you like land the plane and you're like, we're done now. And I remember I went through my notes and I was like, I'll just say the three things because that's what you do when you preach apparently. And then I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't write a conclusion. And then I was like, um, okay, and let's pray. And it was just like, it's over. The sermon's done. And it was so bad, right? Looking back, you'd probably be like, oh, no, it wasn't that bad. But it was so bad that I was like, I'm never doing it again. All right, maybe you've, th- you've tried something like that out. Maybe you've tried, like, soccer or baseball, something like that. For me, I tried golf recently. I used to uh, go to Top Golf, and people would be like, we don't want to go to Top Golf with Noah because we think he's going to hurt someone, right? Like, one of the times I almost launched the golf club off over the nets, right? Okay? It was that bad, right? And I was like, I'm just not doing this anymore. But maybe you've had a, a moment in space or time when you uh, almost, we're so bad you almost gave up on something. And now the reality is uh, we're all bad at something, right? We're, when we're trying to have a new habit, we're trying to like uh, form new habits or try a new hobby, um, the thing that we really need is a guide, someone to help us, right? Uh, someone to walk alongside of us and to say, hey, actually, uh, here's how you can do it. When it comes to something new and challenging, I want a guide. I want someone to direct me and tell me uh, how I'm supposed to do it. And uh, I don't know about uh, you, um, but imagine this, right? Some of you guys are in uh, driver's ed right now. Like, God help us all. We pray for you every day. We love you. We're thankful for you. But like, please, please be careful out there. Um, some of you will be in driver's ed. And I'm looking around the room and I'm like, hopefully not anytime soon. But some of you will be in driver's ed one day. I'm looking at you, Gavin Adams. Terrifying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. I love you very much. But um, some of you will be in driver's ed. And now imagine this, right? You go to like uh, get in the car for driver's ed. You sign up. You sit down with the guide. And like you, you know how to start the car. That's awesome. And then like they're about to teach you. And you look over at them. And they're just like smiling and just like nodding. And you're just smiling and nodding. And then at one point you're like, so when are you going to teach me? And they're like, oh, me? I thought, I thought you were in charge here, right? And you're like, no, no, no. I want someone who knows what they're doing. And they're like, I don't know, just like figure it out, right? How many of us would be terrified in that spot, right? Uh, because if it's something dangerous or scary, like I want an expert, right? I don't want just somebody who like maybe knows how to do it. 
I want an expert. I want an instructor to show me and walk me uh, through how something is supposed to work, right? Okay, so for something new, maybe a guide. For something that's scary or potentially dangerous, I need an expert. Now, what about something that is life or death? All right, let's say somebody's like, hey, I'd love for you to go skydiving. I think you have to be like 16 or 17, maybe even 18. I don't know. Um, but when you get older and someone's like, hey, let's go skydiving. And like, you're crazy enough. I will never be going. I will never go skydiving. I'm too scared of heights. I'll never jump out of the plane. It'd be fun, but I don't think my body would let me. I think I would just like hold on and be like, no, I'm not going. I'm just going to waste my money and stay in here. But anyway, uh, if it comes to something like life or death, like skydiving, rock climbing, scuba diving, whatever it is, um, I need a perfectionist, right? I don't want like this, like, hey, my uh, Uncle Bob has a plane, and I think we can order a parachute on Amazon, right? All right, good, good or bad idea? Uh, bad, very bad idea. Okay, when it comes to something, life or death, I need perfection, all right? If it's something new, I want a guide. If it's something that's like kind of scary, I want an expert. But when it comes to my life being in danger, I need an expert. Imagine this. You're like going to do scuba diving. And they're like, yeah, so this is how you do it. And we've only had two deaths in the entire 20 years that we've done this. And you're just like, two? What? They're like, oh yeah, two people die. But that's no big deal. Don't worry about it, right? At that moment, I'm like, no, I'm going for the place that has zero deaths and like everyone comes back alive. That's the type of thing I want to do. All this to say, um, we serve a person and a man named Jesus Christ who is perfect in every single way. And what if I told you that this person, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, uh, he conquered every single challenge in history, any single temptation, any difficult moment or of trial or pain. Uh, Jesus Christ was not only a guide, he was not only an expert, but he was completely perfect in all of those things. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my life, when it comes to my eternal life, when it comes to my life right now, when it comes to my life from when I was born to the day I die, I don't want someone who's just a good guide. I don't want just a good moral teacher. I need somebody who is perfect. I need somebody who has never failed. I need somebody, and you need somebody, who is perfect in every single way. You look at the record, you look at his record, and you look at his life, and you notice that there's one thing different between you and him, and that he has completely and totally conquered every single sin imaginable. I need that person. I can't have somebody, right? We can't have somebody who's just a good teacher, and like, maybe he wasn't God, but like, he was a good guy, and you should like respect people who like him. I, I don't need somebody uh, who is just mostly good and was mostly there to direct me to God. I need God himself, and I need Jesus, the person who was perfect, the person who was God. More than anything, he faced challenges and trials and difficulties that we can't even begin to fathom how difficult it was. If you thought about it for hours and hours, you wouldn't even scratch the surface of the difficulty and pain that this person, Jesus Christ, went through. And we can't begin to fathom how perfect he is. I don't know about you, but when I go through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and I say no pickles and they put pickles on it, like I'm sinning. I'm, in, I'm like saying things and doing things that are wrong, right? Like we're all going to admit it, right? There's some things that just make us tick. And I need someone who's perfect for the most difficult times the most brutal temptations, 
the most difficult challenges. And tonight in the passage that we're going to read, uh, we're going to see that Jesus Christ, the man uh, who is God and the God who is man, Jesus Christ, was tempted and tried but he turned out to be completely true and who he said he was. We worship a God who is tested in every single way. We serve a God who has been tempted and tried in every way, but he was without sin. We serve a God who is a great high priest, who is able to understand your pain, but he was without sin that caused pain. We see Jesus who was tested and true. And as we see Jesus preparing the way, Right? He's preparing the way for his uh, ministry that would change absolutely everything. We see him face temptation in the middle of the desert by a person and a very real being named uh, the devil or Lucifer, the accuser, whatever it may be. And unlike us, this person, Jesus Christ, was completely perfect and he wins not just the battle, but the war. You see, God isn't a God who just like texts us instructions from heaven. Right? And he's like, write this down. You're going to need it later. Good luck. Peace out. Right? We don't serve a God who is like, okay, here's the instructions. Here's the instruction manual. That seems pretty difficult, but I think they'll get along. Like, I think they'll figure it out eventually, right? We don't serve a God who says, hey, uh, 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 do exactly what I say, but don't look at how I live my life. We serve a God who came down to earth, who looked very much like you and me who was tempted, tried, but yet he was without sin. And I need that person, and so do you. God, I pray that as we look at the text tonight, we would uh, appreciate and be so thankful and reverent because of your uh, sacrifice here on earth. God, we're thankful that you came to preach uh, about the kingdom of God. You came to usher in your perfect kingdom. I pray that, that we would uh, submit to you tonight. We'd look at this text and we would listen. I pray that we would look at this text and we would learn. And that uh, from this, we would respond with worship. And uh, we would continue to worship you throughout our days. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So we saw last week, of course, Jesus is baptized. Uh, he comes down, uh, a sinner's baptism, a perfect man who uh, is uh, partaking in baptism to show us the way, to show us the kingdom that he is ushering in. And this is the very next thing we see. Verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see the first temptation of Jesus here. Uh, we see the first temptation of Jesus, and look at that verse there in verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. We're going to see this all over the Gospels. Jesus is led by the Spirit of God. See, Jesus uh, never operates on his own power, right? You're like, but Jesus is God. Jesus always submits to the instructions of God the Father, and he is always guided along by the Spirit. That's who Jesus is, and that's who we can be too. We listen to the instructions of God, the commandments of God, and we are guided and followed uh, by the Spirit of God. And of course, we're saved uh, by Jesus. And so Jesus himself is led into the wilderness, potentially the wilderness that John the Baptist was preaching and proclaiming in. Uh, but Jesus isn't there to preach. Jesus is there to fast. Fasting is when you uh, take something, it's very often food, uh, that you need uh, to survive in daily life, 
um, or something, and a lot of people fast from other things as well, but basically you just separate yourself from that thing uh, for a period of time. In uh, the scriptures, it is most often and always food, right? And Jesus here is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, some people think that in and of itself is a miracle, and though it may seem like a miracle, there's actually been people who have fasted for much longer than that in uh, much recent history. Uh, there's a, there was a, a hunger strike in Ireland in the 20th century, and some people went 40 plus, 50 days without food or water, some of them, or well, many of them had water, but uh, people went very, very long times without it. But Jesus, I gotta say, um, is very hungry at this point. Look at this, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Everyone say, yeah. After 40 days and 40 nights of no food, he was hungry. Yes, super hungry. And the tempter came and said to them, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Here we have the devil, Satan, who is very real, right? The world would like to say that this is, again, these are kind of, this is a beautiful story about good versus evil, and it's all kind of just this poetic thing. Uh, but we believe that the enemy, the devil, is a very real uh, being, and he exists uh, to completely tear down and to completely destroy uh, every good act of God or the act of Christians. And the enemy, is he's very real. His goal is to influence uh, the world around us and try to get us to uh, question the things that God has said is good and God has said is true. And here's how he works, right? Notice this right here. If you are the son of God, the enemy's very sly, right? The devil isn't just coming out and saying, hey, Jesus, you should sin, Ah, uh, right? You want to try it? Want to try a little bit of sin? Right? No, that's not how it works. If you're the son of God. The very first time we see the serpent in the garden, right, who's Satan, he says, did God really say? The enemy likes to twist things that are potentially good. If you're the son of God, right? This is, uh, this is of course, he's not trying to get Jesus to question it. Jesus knows he's not going to turn away from it. He's not unaware. He's like, I don't know, am I the son of God? Jesus knows. Uh, he's using this in a very, very sly way. He's like, well, since you're God, I mean, you are God. Since you're the son of God, this is what you should do. Turn these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation is turn the stone into bread. Now, bread itself isn't a sin. Everyone say amen, hallelujah. Let's say it together. Bread isn't a sin. Your turn. Bread isn't a sin. Amazing. Bread is awesome. Unless you're like gluten intolerant, you might think bread is a sin. I'm sorry. We love you. We pray for you. I'm so sorry that you can't have gluten. But bread is amazing, right? And Jesus, okay, uh, when he turns water into wine, uh, it's recorded that the people at the party were like, this is the best wine ever, right? So I bet if Jesus could make bread, if Jesus could turn a stone into bread, which he could, it would be the best bread ever, right? I love sourdough bread, and you just picture it so perfect, fresh out of the oven. You're like, oh my goodness gracious. And now think that you haven't had it in 40 days, all right? That's a huge temptation. Uh, but the idea here is like, why are, we, why are we looking at this and thinking, okay, um, why is there this temptation, Right? The temptation in of, of itself is to get Jesus uh, to take his eyes off the thing that God has for him right now in this moment, in this time. The accuser, the enemy, is trying to get Jesus to rely on his own power in this moment instead of the explicit leading of the Spirit 
and the purpose of this time from God the Father. Right? The Spirit leads him into the wilderness to fast and to be tempted by the devil. And the devil, in this moment in time, uh, tries to come and say, hey, I think I know exactly what you need. But God responds, Jesus responds, and says, man does not live by bread alone, but by, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the first point tonight. God supplies us with all we need. The thing the enemy is trying to do in this moment is saying, do you really, right, do you really have everything you need? Are you sure you couldn't use some bread? You look like you're close to death. I mean, just God, if you're really God, here's exactly what you can do for yourself. In this moment, in this space and time, uh, God, Jesus, has been called uh, into the wilderness to fast, and the enemy tries to say, are you sure you have all, everything you need? Right? Are you sure God isn't just forgetting? Are you sure your father didn't forget about you out here? I think I know the way. I think I can show you what to do. But the reality is, Jesus answers with Scripture, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus prepares the way for the upside-down kingdom, he is doing every single thing that the Father says to do, and he is only doing that. He is not swerving an inch on anything. He is not taking control. He is guided by the Spirit and following the instructions of his father and his father's purpose for this time is to be tested and is to fast. This is a moment and time of preparation and to do anything otherwise in this moment would be wrong. Jesus never acts independently uh, from his own will. He is only following the guidance and direction of his father and the spirit guiding him along the way. Jesus says this all the time in the Gospels. He's come to accomplish the will of the Father. He's come to accomplish all the things that God says that he has to do. And he did do it in completion. But in this moment, he is being tempted to do otherwise. You see, God uses trials to test. But the enemy uses trials to tempt and to destroy. Right? In many ways, this is a kind of two sides of the same coin. God will allow uh, trials in our lives to test our faith, to test our genuineness, right? We see this in James chapter 1 and 2. Uh, let it show that the, uh, the, the, the trial and the persecution that you have right now goes to the improvement and to the betterment of your faith. We understand and we know uh, that God's uh, trials don't lead us to sin. God never once tries to get you to sin, but God wants to refine your faith. The enemy is the opposite. He never wants your faith to be refined. He never wants you to grow in holiness. He never wants you uh, to do anything good. And so every single trial that you might face, the enemy wants to swoop in and have you question God. And he's doing it right here with Jesus, who is so connected to the Father that he immediately responds with truth of Scripture and says, man doesn't live on bread alone. God has everything that you need. Every single thing that we need for life and godliness can be found from God and the word that he's given us. And if you don't think that, then you probably don't understand Jesus. If you don't know that, if you haven't experienced that, then maybe you haven't experienced Christ. If at any moment in time you're like, I love Jesus, I love what he has for me on Wednesdays and Sunday mornings, but dude, I'm telling you, my nine to five, right, at school or like my life, I need friends, I need a roof over my head, I need like, uh, if I'm not like at least this GPA, like things aren't going super well for me. If I don't have this many friends, if people aren't telling me this about myself, right, there's so many times in life, there's the temptation, and you'll see this as you grow, uh, to have Jesus plus like something else. 
right? And as long as Jesus is like number one, or like maybe number two, like everything's fine. But the reality is in Christ, through his salvation, through the guidance of the spirit and through the truth from his word, you have everything that you need. And the world that says more, 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 are you sure you don't have enough? Are you sure you don't need more? Are you sure you're feeling okay? In a world that's constantly trying to push us to consume, everything that we need is found in Jesus. Yes, everything that you need. Every fear, every anxiety you have can be solved through Christ, can be seen in the fullness uh, of Jesus Christ, right? Every single relational conflict that you have, right? Every single moment of doubt and pain, it all known that God uses these things again to refine our faith. But in Christ, we have all that we need. Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, I'm telling you this not to say try and go 40 days fasting, right? That's not going to be the application from this message. Jesus does command us to fast. He says, when you fast, and it's something that we just kind of ignore in Scripture many times. Uh, I'm not telling you to do that, but everything that you have right now, you need to assess. You need to look at your life and say, am I being sustained and guided and held up by God alone? Or are there other things in my life that I'm like, I'm kind of relying on these things, and if these things don't work out, I'm going to kind of lose my mind. Because those are often the things that God likes to use to refine us. So just be aware of that. In everything, God is enough. God supplies us with all that we need. I'm not saying you don't need friends or you don't need uh, seasons of time to care for your mental health. I'm not saying any of those things and hear my heart on this. But in everything, for salvation, for guidance, for life, for godliness... Uh, everything is found in God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. What we see here is an immediate response uh, to the devil with the truth of scripture. Because lies just completely fall apart in the face of truth. Right? Liars completely fall apart in the face of truth. Right? You can't argue with facts. Right? If it is simply a fact, if it's in God's word, it's true. And any feeling, any temptation that you face uh, has to be met with Scripture. And we're going to talk about how to overcome temptation and how God empowers us to do that. But I think it's interesting that every single instance here of temptation, uh, Jesus responds with truth from God's word. Uh, look at verse 5 here. So after this temptation, we see that God supplies us with all that we need. We don't need anything else other than his word. Verse 5 says this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there it is again, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, God's way is the best way. That's our second point. God's way is the best way. Now, I know we're all tempted in many different ways. Temptation is simply this. It is simply wondering if God's way is the best way. In any moment in time, you're like, I don't know. Like, I know that God calls me to live a pure and holy life. But like, is this really going to like this thing here? I don't think I should be all right. We're all tempted and tried in many ways. It is, our, uh, it is in our nature to try and gravitate towards the things of this world. But I've never been tempted to jump off a building, right? Okay? And every, please raise our hands. I, I hope that is the case for you as well. And here, uh, Jesus, the enemy takes Jesus to the top of the temple, right? in, 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 in probably full daylight with people below. 
And his temptation in this moment is to throw uh, yourself off this building. And everyone might look at this and be like, why is the enemy tempting Jesus with this? Because the reality is this. Um, Jesus could have chosen to turn away from God's will, right? Or Jesus could have in this moment, um, he's perfect in every single way, um, but the enemy is trying to tempt him in this moment unsuccessfully uh, to uh, do things his way, right? Because in this space and in this time, if Christ would have done this and angels would have come to him, this would have been a very public thing that would have been uh, uh, like uh, this would have been a very big spectacle, right? Imagine uh, Jesus, the Savior of the world, uh, jumping off the pinnacle of the temple and falling down, angels catching him, and he just enters into the scene. Uh, now, this is probably what many people thought uh, the kingdom of God was going to look like. When God ushered in the kingdom of God, there probably could have been lights and angels and voices from heaven shouting out, and we see the life and the ministry that Jesus held, all right? It wasn't that of a glamorous, uh, beautiful, pristine life. We see Jesus, a servant, who is suffering on the, the half of the kingdom of God. We see Jesus, who is suffering and is human and fully God in every single way. But the enemy says, are you sure like this is God's plan for you? Are you sure the Father knows what's best at this time in this space? And Jesus responds with this amazing thing. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. God always knows what's best. God always knows what's best for you. God always knows what's best for the person next to you. He always knows what's best for your family. He knows what's best for your future. God always knows best. There is nothing that escapes God. There is nothing that is completely outside of his sight. There's nothing that's completely outside of his mind that you can think in your life and say, I don't know if God's got this one, right? I know he's got a lot of things. I'm really trusting him for the salvation part. But like, I think I got high school figured out. Why do we think that way? God's way is the best way. There's never a space and time where you walk from God's will and you turn to sin and you will reap the benefits from it. You will never, ever be better uh, for walking aside, uh, walking away from God's uh, plan and purpose for your life. There will never be a moment in time where you will choose to sin and you will be blessed for it. And in this space and in this time, uh, the temptation is, Jesus, just do exactly what you want to do. Jesus, just do uh, what you think is best in this time and this space. And, of course, Jesus' response is, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus responds to temptation with truth. Again, this, he's crafty. The enemy's crafty. He's trying to use Scripture to twist it, right? He's using this passage. Uh, he, you know, he is saying, okay, because of this passage, we know that Jesus won't be harmed, right? We know this to be true. The enemy likes to do this. The enemy likes to take scripture, takes things that are true, and just twist it just like a little inch or degree, right? Again, it's not just outright sin in this space in this time. The enemy wants Jesus to do things outside the Father's will, but he reminds us that God's way is the best way in your life if you choose to sin, you will choose to suffer. But when we choose to follow Christ, we reap the benefits that follow. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him. So this is one temptation, two temptations. This is the third and final one. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Final point, God alone is worthy of worship. God alone is worthy of worship. Jesus proves himself true in this space, in this moment. He's resisting the temptations of the enemy. We look at them and we think they're so silly, but they're, uh, they're, the, the heart of them is to get Jesus to turn away from God's will in this time and in this moment. The reality is Jesus didn't come to gain the kingdoms of man. He came to usher in the upside-down kingdom of God. Jesus didn't come for the glory and the splendor of this world. He didn't come to have a, a crown of gold. He had the opposite. He had a crown of thorns. He didn't come to have a palace. He had the opposite. He didn't have a place to rest his head. Jesus didn't come for these things. But the enemy wants to tempt him with it. First of all, this is arrogance on the devil's part. The devil does have uh, lots of rule and lots of authority and lots of power in our world. I believe that. Uh, but he, he, this is just arrogance in this space and time, right? Bow down and worship me, right? And Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve him only. Him only you shall serve. God alone is worthy of worship. He's the only one that we're supposed to be worshiping. He's the only one that we're supposed to be praising. And when the enemy tries to say, hey, look at this thing, this power, this influence, Right? I know you can still have Jesus, right? I know you're never going to be able to be taken away from him. But there's so many other things that this world has to offer that might be just as good, right? I know you've heard that thing like, okay, being selfish is wrong, right? Being uh, lustful is wrong. All these things, anger, I get it. But like what the world has to offer sometimes from our sight in our current vantage point looks so much better than the things of God. And I'm telling you, we need to fully understand God's kingdom in order to pursue it, right? The things of God, uh, the things of God are so much better in the long run, right? And while the enemy likes to be quick, hey, you'll feel good right now. This will be gratifying in this moment. This will be perfect for you right now. The long work of following God will be more successful. The long work of being, following after God, being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ will prove to be better because God alone is worthy of worship. Jesus didn't come for the earthly kingdoms, right? The earthly kingdoms are turned upside down by the kingdom of God. Our lives are turned uh, upside down by God's kingdom. Uh, but Jesus didn't come for these splendors, and we shouldn't pursue them either. We shouldn't look at the world around us and be tempted to fall after it. Only God is worthy of worship. You see, worship is, uh, is sacrifice. Uh, whatever it is that you're making sacrifices for in your life, is what you worship. I promise you, if you love your friends, you're going to sacrifice time, energy, money, all of this uh, to be with your friends. If you worship your future career, you're going to sacrifice time, energy, money, rest, whatever it may be uh, for your future career. If it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, you will be riddled with anxiety to make sure that they're always okay uh, with you and you're always okay with them. And as long as things are good between us, I'm completely fine. The things that you make sacrifices for, uh, you're worshiping. And the reality is God alone is only worthy to be worshiped. God is the only thing and the only person we worship that won't end up hurting us after we do. Anything else that you worship, anything else that you have on the throne of your heart will come to hurt you in the end, except for God. And the enemy is all about himself. 
He wants his own glory. He thinks it's, it's almost comical reading this, thinking that the enemy would say, hey, Jesus, just bow down, worship me. I'll give you everything that I'm in charge of. And Jesus, of course, perfect, tried and true, says be gone. So what does this show us about temptation, right? We've been talking about this word a lot, and I explained it earlier. Uh, we all face temptations. The thing that you be tem- might be tempted with might be different than the person around you. Uh, but every single person in this room uh, has a desire for sin, right? Whether it's to go too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's to lash out that person, they're finally going to get it, and I'm going to yell at them, I'm going to scream at them. Uh, whether it's to be selfish, hey, when I walk in a room, it's all about me. Whatever it may be, we all are tempted and tries in many, many ways. But so many Christians, I think, are walking around uh, completely, feeling completely powerless in the face of temptation, right? You might be like, well, I'm not, I didn't like kill anyone. I didn't go like too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Like I didn't be like that mean to my brother or sister, right? Like I'm doing pretty okay. But the reality is um, so few Christians are trying uh, their hardest to be holy. So few Christians are so, uh, the, too many Christians are too focused on like, uh, like improving in minor areas, right? They're too focused on trying their hardest to like maintain the status quo. I think so many Christians are convinced that there's always things that they're just going to struggle with, right? Oh, I'm just always going to struggle with this, but I know God's grace is good enough. The reality is uh, we're not powerless over temptation. You're not powerless over temptation. You might think about some things uh, that you're wrestling with right now, and I'm here to tell you that you are not powerless over temptation, Right? God never gives you something that you can never escape from. Right? Like, there is never a temptation that pops in front of you, a feeling you have, an emotion, a person, whatever it may be, where you are tempted to sin. Uh, God always gives us a means and a ways of escaping. So what does this show us about temptation? How does Jesus' example, right? I need a perfect, spotless lamb, a perfect person to show me how to do this, how to conquer sin. And more importantly, I need a perfect and spotless man and God to uh, bear my sin for me. But what does this show me about temptation? First of all, we understand the accuser is sly, right? Scripture twisted, right? Did God really say, is this really bad? Is this really too far right? It's not that far. We need to understand that sin is wrong and we will only reap consequences when we engage. How do we overcome temptation? Number one, we of course need to follow Christ, right? There's no victory over temptation or sin without the spotless lamb. So if you're not following Christ, uh, you don't even know uh, what is good and what is wrong. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've heard about him before, uh, I'd love to tell you about him. I'd love to tell you more. First, we need to follow Christ. Uh, second, we need to listen to the Spirit, right? If you're um, drowning your, uh, your time in Scripture out with time on your phone, if you're constantly surrounding yourself with other people or whatever it is you want to do, uh, chances are you're not listening to God's Spirit. And a third, and probably the most important for our time together, you need to know the instructions of the Father. This is what Jesus does, right? What does he do every time he's tempted? He says what? It is written. Everyone say that. It is. It is. Okay, where is it written? Oh, okay, very cool. All right. God's instructions for us are actually written down, right? God doesn't uh, just give us this book. He lived it out perfectly. Jesus lived out the law perfectly um, so that we didn't have to. And we need to understand that in order to face temptation in our life, we need to have truth so close to us at all times that we can know when things are lies and we can know where things are wrong. We need to know God's instruction through his word. 
It says this in Psalms, how can a young person keep their way pure by living according to his word? God's instructions are so that we would live a fruitful and blessed life. Yes, when we follow God, we receive blessings. It doesn't look like what the world says, but you will be closer with God and you will know him uh, deeper. The Bible's not a book of suggestions. The Bible isn't a last minute option. The Bible isn't a textbook. The Bible is God's most effective weapon for your fight against sin and against the enemy, and against temptation. And when the enemy comes around in your life, you have to know what this book says. When the enemy comes around, when you face the temptations that we all face together, and we're not perfect in it, you need to know what God's word says. I promise you, this will change your life. This will completely change your Christian walk when you know scripture and you believe scripture and you use that scripture to fight temptation. When you're tempted to look at porn, you need to understand 2 Timothy when he says, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but he gave me a spirit of power and love and self-control. Yes, that is God's truth. When you feel temptations for lust, pornography, whatever it may be. When you feel tempted to be uh, despairing, right? My life is meaningless, right? Uh, this is pointless. I have no hope. You need to understand Isaiah 26.3. He, Jesus, keeps me in perfect peace when my mind is stayed on him because I trust in him. You need to have that truth tied to your heart. When you're tempted to be angry, someone pushes you beyond your limits and you just want to unleash fury at them. You're consequencing them. You're the judge, jury, and executioner in that moment. You need to understand James chapter 1, verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When you're tempted to be selfish, you need to know Philippians 2, chapter 3, that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, count others above yourselves. And when you're tempted to hate yourself, and think, I'm not worth anything. God made a mistake. There's parts of me that I hate. I don't like this. And I believe that's a sin to look at yourself like that. You need to understand Psalm, 1, Psalm 139. For God created me in my, in, in, he knows me. He created my innermost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise him because I know he has fearfully and wonderfully made me. We need to have the truths of Scripture tied to our hearts in moments of temptation, in moments of fear, in moments of anxiety. Truth keeps us grounded when lies try to persuade us to sin. Truth keeps us grounded when the lies of the enemy try to persuade us to sin. So as Jesus prepares the way for the upside-down kingdom of God, he is only doing what God the Father is telling him to do, and he is only listening to the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, Jesus is perfect. The victory is his. The victory is Jesus's. Uh, this is our main point today, the main idea I want you to communicate. Uh, I want to communicate to you, Jesus wins the battle over sin when we fail. Jesus wins the battle over sin when we fail, right? I love telling you how to overcome temptation. This is awesome, but that is not the main point of this text. The main point of this text is that uh, you cannot overcome sin without Christ. You cannot be forgiven of sin without Christ. You cannot have the righteousness that comes with a sinless life without Jesus Christ. 
Only a spotless lamb could usher in the kingdom of God in the world and in my heart. Only a perfect person could perfectly follow God's law and save me from the consequences of sin. Only a victorious king could lead sinners in to righteousness. And I am here to show you that Jesus wins. The text shows it from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus wins the battle over death and sin. And without him, we don't win. You're not good enough to follow these instructions, even if you know every single verse in the entire Bible, like the enemy does, fun fact. You will never succeed in having righteousness over sinfulness without the imputed righteousness, the righteousness that is given to us through Christ. Jesus, when we model his example of knowing Scripture, listening to the Father, and being led by the Spirit. Jesus is perfect when we couldn't be. Jesus is victorious when we fail. Jesus is spotless when we are sinful and we turn to him and we embrace him in faith. That's the point of this text. When Adam and Eve were tempted and they failed, we needed something. We, need see, we needed someone who didn't fail. We needed someone who was perfect. And that's who Jesus is. And he's ushering in his kingdom in this text as we see. And his rule and his authority will know no end. And when we turn to him and embrace him in faith, we will be ushered into that kingdom and under that authority. And if you know Christ in this room, this is something to celebrate. If you know Christ in this room and you're struggling with sin, you need to read this passage again and again and know and find passages in this word that help you against uh, the battle against temptation. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never turned to him and embraced him with faith, I've been praying for you. We love you. We care about you. And we want you to know about him. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for you. God, we're thankful that your word is true. I pray that you'd continue to uh, guide us, refine us. God, I pray that for the person in the room who um, they think they know everything. <laughs> they think they know everything, God. They think they've heard everything. God, I pray that you'd continue to just break their hearts and to just break their hearts that are made of stone. God, I'm thankful so much that we don't have to do this fight by ourselves. I'm thankful that I don't have to wake up every morning and count on myself to, to be successful over temptation. I just can't do it. No one in this room can. God, I'm thankful that your word guides us. While harsh and it, it cuts to the bone, it cuts through bone and marrow, uh, while it may hurt, you are uh, not hacking away at us uh, carelessly. You are uh, using your word to precision cut away the things that are going to bring us death. God, I pray for the person in the room who's struggling with secret sin. They're too ashamed to talk about it. I pray that they would know and understand that you are perfect, that you are righteous, and that you still chose to love us. You still chose to love us when we were struggling with these secret sins. You chose to turn your face to us, but I pray that you would reveal to this person and show them that your way is the best way. You alone are worthy to be worshiped. That there's nothing that we can uh, succeed in when we give into temptation, when we uh, continue to uh, engage in these things, only death would follow. So God, I just, I pray for the people in this room uh, hearing my voice right now, that your voice would speak to them through uh, worship, that your voice would speak to them through your word, that your voice would speak to them through uh, the community of believers and, and through your spirit, God. We love you. We're thankful for um, what we get to do here together. I pray that we would sing together in conviction. We would sing together in truth. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.